Hi there, and welcome to Hans Bank and Insights. We're here this morning with James Poole, Chief Economist of Hans Bank in the UK for our weekly economic update. Good morning, James. I hope you had a lovely long weekend. I did. Thanks very much, Mana. Okay, this week we're going to be looking at our recently released quarterly global markets forecast. Things are looking up in all six of the main markets in which Handelsbank operates. What is behind this? Well, thanks, Mariana. Um, if we look at the world as a whole, uh, last year, of course, was, was pretty dire uh, circumstances, and the, the world as a whole shrank by 3.5%, uh, and now we're looking for it to go up by 5.7% this year, and then trailing back down towards something a bit more normal over the next couple of years. And, and that's, of course, completely understandable, because what we did last year was so artificial in terms of lockdowns across Europe, across America, etc. Of course, the bounce back is going to be there. And if we look at different markets themselves, we see some pretty different things coming out of that as well. And, and we, we cover all of this in the global markets forecast. So, for instance, the US, uh, we looked at minus 3.5% last year and then 5.6% this year. And in fact, of course, since um, we've done these, these forecasts, we've had even more of the Biden stimulus plan coming through. And so there's, I think, if anything, even more upside. We'll, we'll have to see as time goes on how much of that Biden plan actually makes it through under the statute books because, of course, um, Biden proposes it and then Congress has to approve uh, some of it. And it's a Democratic Congress, but it's a very narrow Democratic Congress. Um, and so it, it might be that there, there has to be a bit of compromise along the way. But we'll have to see that, how that goes. Uh, for the Euro, Eurozone and the Euro market as a whole, uh, we saw um, minus 6.8% last year. And looking a good bounce back this year, not quite as vigorous as we see in the US. Uh, and then, of course, the big winner, really, in all of this, some, somewhat ironic given where the, the, the virus originated, of course, is China, um, which didn't shrink at all last year. It did fall to 2.3%, which for them is, is very slow. Um, but it's looking 8.2% growth this year, really quite phenomenal. Uh, and so we'll have to see how all of that, that goes on. So what's sitting behind all of this? Well, um, and, and I know we're, we're going to discuss this over the next couple of minutes. It's a lot of the sort of things that we're seeing in other parts, um, and we've been discussing in the UK as well. So we've had a lot of accumulated savings in the UK. That's going to be spent. We've had a lot of uh, business investment, um, that, well, here in the UK, but we're going to be seeing the same thing in all of our home markets. So looking across those home markets, we're looking for uh, a real pickup in business investment, not to the levels that you're seeing in the US, which has in some ways been really spurred on by that huge Biden stimulus plan, but certainly pretty healthy. Okay, you mentioned savings. What do you expect will happen to these savings? Well, I think there's two things to look at it in terms of savings. Um, one, of course, is that um, you've got the, the actual accumulated savings themselves. So here in the UK, we know that we've accumulated um, about um, uh, savings rate itself went to over 25%, um, and it's going to be falling back down, and there's an enormous amount of accumulated savings. So we should look at this in two parts. One is what used to be saved is now going to be spent, so savings rates will fall back down to, to normal levels. And um, we are not calling for them to fall to the, sort of the, to the historic lows, but to sort of a, a mid-range forecast, to sort of the, the average of what they've been over the last few years. And, and I think that that's a very sensible thing. Uh, it does offer a little bit of scope for further growth, um, but I think at the moment people are going to treat it with, with a degree of caution, and therefore I think our forecast here is, is pretty good. Um, so that's one element of it. The, the savings is now going to be spent much more. Uh, and the second element, of course, is that accumulated savings that people have done over the last couple of years uh, they're going to start to spend some of that. How quickly they spend it is another question. And it depends a lot on consumer confidence. Um, but our expectation is that they'll spend at least a portion for here in the UK. We're thinking uh, something like a third of the accumulated savings are going to be spent 
over the next 18 months. So that's pretty good. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, there is a degree of caution now that's coming through as well. Mm-hmm. And government stimulus is for some countries pretty significant. Can you give us an idea of just how important? Yes, uh, the government stimulus, of course, is, is absolutely enormous. Um, and um, here in the Euro, Eurozone, or the Eurozone, where a lot of our home markets uh, sit, um, the, the European Union has put together um, a, a very, very large package. And uh, it's very excited about it because it's going to be raising those funds itself, uh, as opposed to simply asking member states to contribute to a mutual fund. Um, that's going to be coming over the next few years. And uh, so that's both in the form of uh, loans and um, grants, as, uh, outright grants. Those loans are not proving to be terribly popular in a lot of places, um, but we are looking for the grants to be spent. And, and I think that because those grants are only coming over the next couple, pretty good chance they'll be spent effectively. That's really in contrast to what we're seeing, what's happening in the US, where the scale of the uh, spending is really absolutely phenomenal. And there has to be some questions as to how quickly one can spend money and how effectively money that's being spent that fast is going to be. So um, there's a, a concern, which I know we'll touch upon in a moment, that some of this might touch off a bit of inflation. But uh, if we look at the percentage of GDP right now, for the U.S., um, between the automatic stabilizers, which are not that considerable in the U.S., but they're still there, and the, the um, stimulus full stop, it could be well over 10% of GDP, which is really quite phenomenal. Uh, for the Eurozone as a whole, um, it's going to be uh, around about 5.5%. So uh, call it half the level that we're seeing in the U.S. And, and it's one of the reasons we think, of course, that the U.S. economy is going to do very, very well in the coming uh, year. Um, and and um, uh, clearly that's, that's going to be a big part of that doing well is, is all that stimulus money. Okay. And apart from government simply spending and borrowing a lot of money, there is, of course, a question of quantitative easing. When might the recovery be strong enough to justify tapering QE? Well, of course, we did have um, some tapering from the Federal Reserve um, a couple of years ago, and the markets took it very badly, and they called it the taper tantrum. Um, and I think they hadn't quite really prepared markets as well for the fact that they were going to, going to be um, cutting back on that. Uh, and this time, they're not going to make that mistake. That said, there's a number of other things happening. First of all, I think there's several stages to reversing quantitative easing. Quantitative easing, just to remind ourselves, is the central bank buying bonds from the banks and therefore the banks themselves are getting a lot of cash and the banks pushing that cash into the market uh, keeps interest rates nice and low. Um, and the idea is that it reflects the economy at a time, particularly when interest rates are very, very low. Um, when you can't stimulate the economy by lowering interest rates anymore, um, clearly the Bank of England 0.1% um, lowering anymore uh, or even raising it to 0.2% wouldn't make much difference. It's still very cheap. So the banks lit upon the idea of quantitative easing. But there's a number of stages to quantitative easing. Um, the first one will be uh, simply stopping or slowing buying of uh, the, the various bonds. And, and actually, there's already some talk, certainly here in the UK, maybe the Bank of England should do that because the Bank of England is looking at the forecasts and forecasts here in the UK are continually going up, that is, economic forecasts. Um, so the first stage could be anywhere, Eurozone, uh, US, UK, stopping or slowing buying. Then it can simply let bonds run off. Um, these are generally relatively short-term bonds. It could just sit, sit there and say, when the bond is expired, um, uh, we pay it back, and it's done. And the third stage would be to go into the market to actively reverse the program, to actively sell down the stock of debt that they have. Um, now, at the moment, um, people are expecting uh, this to be a very gradualist approach, and I'm certain that the central bankers want it to be a gradualist approach. But just to remind everybody, there are different stages, and depending upon 
how the economy develops over the next um, couple of years depends on how quickly they might start to look at all of that. So what are we looking for? Well, in our global markets forecast, um, we are saying that we expect tapering to, to um, in the U.S. at least, to come from mid-2022 onwards. The, the U.S. Federal Reserve will start to slow buying of, of those bonds and may start to let some of them run off in the latter half of 2022. So that's our sort of uh, forecast. And then at the end of 2023, we're looking for the potential for um, uh, a bit of um, uh, actual raising of rates. We'll have to see how that goes. We'll have to see how quickly the, the economy responds. Um, so far, the, the science in the US are very good. Um, so sort of stay tuned about this, but that's our, our forecast at the moment. Okay, so now uh, just moving on to the potentially ever less valuable, but currently million dollar question, what about inflation? Yes, well, um, there, there's a, a lot about inflation to, to, to mention here. Certainly, it's one of the big concerns in the market. And we, we discussed it actually at length in the global markets forecast. Uh, we think that uh, it's probably the story is, is likely to be overblown a, a bit at the moment. Um, I think there's a number of things to keep in mind. And we, we have reminded people of that certainly true here in the UK as well. The first is what's called the base effect. Um, last year, of course, the, the economy was really, really depressed and that prices were very depressed. And normally inflation is measured on a year on year basis. So anytime you look at what prices are today, as opposed to what they were a year ago, what you're looking for is, is the price today against a really depressed value of a year ago. So there's, there's this base effect. It's naturally going to pop up. Um, secondly, there's a degree of what we call friction. Um, and that is uh, all of us in all our home markets here in the UK, in the US, et cetera, we all start spending. And it's uh, an open question as to whether um, businesses will be able to respond quickly enough. And if so, um, there could be a degree of friction as we all fight to get um, restaurants, um, bookings, or we want to go on holiday or whatever else we're, we're trying to do. And the prices naturally respond. Um, but that, there, there's a number of other things which I think do point out, and we highlight them in the report, as to why inflation is probably not going to be uh, problematic in the um, short to medium term. Um, one is that inflationary expectations are anchored. What I mean by this is that um, uh, a, a lot of things are about behavior within economics and people's behavior and how they expect things to be. And right now, people do not expect inflation to be a problem. And therefore, they don't put inflationary expectations into their pay demands, for instance. And without that, it's difficult for inflation to take off. So uh, until people's expectations become unanchored, um, and in which case they get broken, uh, we expect inflation to remain relatively low. Now, that did happen in the mid-1970s. Uh, inflation went rampant, um, and people started to, uh, people started to uh, really demand lots of pay increases in their, their paychecks, uh, annual pay negotiations. Um, but so far, we're not seeing that, that happening. A couple of other things that are, are, are really um, uh, arousing lots of people's fear about inflation. One is there's uh, a lot of commodity inflation out there, uh, we can look at that. You know, people look at timber prices. People look at copper prices. Um, all of that's true. But it's also true that really the only commodity that feeds through to broader economic um, inflation is oil. Um, oil in the 1970s quite clearly fed through into inflation overall. And at that point, oil constituted about 30% of um, the input cost of, to any unit of GDP. That's fallen quite a lot since then. Um, last time I looked, it was about 18 19%. And given that the uh, increasing dependence we have on renewables, I would expect it to fall further. So whilst commodity prices might go up, um, I expect a lot of that to be absorbed by the people using those commodities because actually the, the, the goods and services we buy at the end of the day 
not much of that final price is in the raw commodity. Um, and finally, there's there's a, a question around um, uh, people who are fearing inflation are looking at the money supply, which has certainly gone up really considerably in the last uh, few years. Um, and it hasn't been inflationary yet. And there's a hope that it won't be inflationary in the future. We'll have to see what happens on that. But certainly there is a, a problem for monetarists, and they, they've long acknowledged this, which is the lagged effect between uh, when you increase the money supply and when you see it come up in inflation is very variable. And you can increase the money supply and not see inflation for a very long time. Um, and there's a, a hope and expectation in our report that that's going to be the case this time as well. Okay, thank you, James. And finally, um, any thoughts on foreign exchange and swaps? Yeah, I was just uh, looking at particularly uh, the UK for, for this particular um, uh, element. Now, for the last couple of years, of course, we've had uh, an enormous amount of news flow through, through here in the UK. We've had Brexit, we've had uh, what's happening with the pandemic, uh, we've had all sorts of questions. Really, many of those questions are now over. Um, we've had a Brexit deal, um, we've had uh, very, very good expansion of the economy. We're, we're looking for very good expansion uh, throughout the, the latter half of 2021 and into 2022. Um, all of that news has been discounted into the value. And the only real question left, I suppose, is, is the Scottish one, which we'll, we'll have to come on to more in future podcasts. But what that means is that um, Sterling has, has appreciated a bit on the back of all of this. And really, the news flow now is going to shift to other places. It's going to shift to the US. It's going to shift to the Eurozone. And sterling isn't going to be determining its own value, rather it's simply going to be reflecting uh, the other values. So what we're expecting is, is sterling to, to strengthen very slightly over the next uh, couple of years, uh, basically on the back of, um, uh, against uh, the, the better growth that we're seeing here in the UK as opposed to the Eurozone. Um, and that's, that's likely to be uh, relatively calm, but the, the focus is going to be really how quickly does the US grow and, and therefore the implications of that. The other thing that's really important to look at is, is the swap rates. Um, and here, the, the important thing to note is that whilst swap rates really, really did fall quite a lot in um, the end of 2019, uh, early 2020, um, and they fell and, and no longer really reflected risk. Um, you look at the difference between the, the two and the 10-year swap rate, it was down 30 basis points. And that sort of differential really isn't enough to reflect the underlying risk there. Um, but we expect swap rates overall to rise, and more importantly, um, for swap rate spreads to continue. Um, they, they've opened up quite a bit in the last uh, year or so, and we expect that sort of thing to continue. Uh, and I think that's a better reflection of risk, um, the underlying risk that you've got in there within the market. So um, I think sort of a bit more normal is what I would call on the UK swap rate front. Okay, many thanks, James. Um, lots to think about that. And we look forward to hearing more from you next week. We'll be back on Monday. Thanks very much, Mayna. Look forward to seeing you on Monday.